yeah. One of the cops gets a hold of a uh, the the younger blonde girl. Yeah, he, uh, he ends up like they have this like little joke thing where he ends up peeking under her hat under his hat at her like that he puts on top of her, and they end up like almost fucking before the entire tsunami of shit water comes out onto the <laughs> room and washes them both away. Fritza makes out into this like synagogue that is. not really introduced in any way we're just kind of thrown into the synagogue and uh the people in the synagogue are all played by bakshi's family members actually like reading (laughs) at at their synagogue you you were a particularly big fan of this scene the last time i talked to you chuck yeah i thought it was interesting i i didn't really know that they were his family that's yeah pretty fascinating Uh, oh But the thing I found interesting about this, though, is this: these were the only people in the movie that weren't animals, right? Uh, no, they're animals. They're all lions. Oh, are they? Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't register that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. Are you saying Jews look like lions? <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> I haven't seen a lion lately. I, I don't know. I, I, did not, I didn't look at them and think of them as lions. I don't know why. It could have been because of the voices, actually. I think this was one of the scenes. I think the reason I liked it was because I got hooked on how natural the dialogue was. And I got hooked on the voices. And then I'm kind of like they were speaking softly. So I'm like, wait, what is he saying? What, what's he saying? Oh, the glasses thing. And then I'm thinking to myself, Oh yeah, I've had to start re- wearing reading glasses the last years. Oh, that really sucks. And I'm like, wait, 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 what's going on? Okay, hang on a second. Where's oh Fritz is inside a guy's beard? Awesome, you know. So <laughs> I, you know, I, something kicked in. I don't think I had had my chocolate or Adderall or whatever today, but or that. Yeah, day, but I feel it. Uh, I I like to be a little like. I like to have some kind of like chocolate or something like I don't want to watch this movie where I feel like depressed or just run down because <laughs> yeah. I think it's just long then like I think you can't appreciate some of the stuff because the pace is like it in certain points it just feels glacial and like I definitely enjoy this scene but yeah there are times when I've watched it where I'm just like we need to get on from this <laughs> Yeah, I, I think when when the cops come in here, right, and yeah. one of them, is it Ralph who says, these are my people? Yeah. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting since he's a pig. Yeah, and I don't understand huh. the animal like stuff like that. I don't understand yeah. like why certain people are Jewish and certain people are you know like I we we specifically know who the crows are, like what they're supposed to be in the social structure. But right. as far as Jewish people go, like it really varies like by race. And I think that's very odd and strange. I, I don't think that was thought out at all. I don't think they cared. Like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and the size too. Like there are some proportional issues in here. Like that bird who jumped in the bathtub a while ago. This is a big fucking bird, man. I mean, like, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. And, and he was so much bigger than some of the. I don't know. And the aardvark was a weird size. I've never seen an aardvark that yeah. big or a blue aardvark. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Speaking of which, Chuck, um, not to be get too personal, but have you ever made it with an aardvark? 
<laughs> I guess very rare. No, I haven't. No, I have not. Well, good. I hope you haven't either, Lisa. I have not. I could safely say that. So we can all be proud of ourselves. I think I, I think I'm the one dumpy apartment bathroom away, though. <laughs> oh, okay. I could be talked into it, I think. If we ever become too obnoxious for you, Lisa, you can just storm out and like Twitter cloud us or whatever, okay. whatever they call it these days. You can do the me too. Like if you, if you get tired of us. <laughs> um, yeah. Like they follow Fritz into the synagogue and Fritz is like hiding in the bathroom. And I don't know if it's implied that he's like assaulting this woman in the bathroom, but she comes out of the bathroom, like with like, half her clothes on and i think that's very like i I think that's like one of the elements that borders on just like pure exploitation because it it doesn't seem to have any like backing for why (laughs) she should be partially nude and sliding out into the into the middle of the synagogue go ahead lisa i no, i didn't get the assault vibe i i got the feeling like he went in there to hide and then because it was a women's room and there was a woman in it he got distracted And and then interrupted. That was my take on it. Oh, see, yeah, I got the exact opposite. Like, I got the assault vibe, and I think it's because part of her clothing was torn. Yeah, and but that's you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I always expect the worst from Fritz. So, (laughs) yeah, like if there's this, what's the shitty thing to do in this situation? That's what Fritz is going to do. You know. So yeah, I did I did get that, but that's interesting. I yeah, I don't know. I and I, I'm kind of with you, Robbie. Like I kind of don't know what the point of this scene was. I mean, yeah, the cops were looking for Fritz, but I don't know. It it kind of felt like an extraneous scene, which in a yeah. 78-minute film, there shouldn't be any extraneous scenes, right? Because yeah. you're you know, and this I think was an extraneous scene. Yeah, I um I do like that. Like when Fritz escapes from the synagogue and like the cops are trapped in this dancing like row (laughs) of of, uh, yeah (laughs) rabbis. Like I I, Ralph Ralph is the younger cop, by the way. Forgive me. Um, Mm -hmm. Ralph starts dancing like with all these people, and like Robert gets really upset. Like you're not supposed to be dancing with them. You're not Jewish. Like, this is a very big thing for him. And I think that's, like, I think that's, like, a real, like, like thing that Baxter put in because he's very, like, interested in expressing his Jewishness throughout animation, you know. Um, His other two films have a lot of Jewish elements in it, too, particularly Heavy Traffic. Kinskin, less so, but in a very obscure way. Um, Which, uh, if you haven't seen that film, that, I, I, I... that I think that's probably the best Ralph Bakshi film just because I think it's the most like representative of who he is as an artist. Like this film is definitely a big cross between him and crumb. Um, the, the Robert crumb comics of Fritz the cat range from pretty bad to pretty good. Um, and the character of Duke that comes in later is from the actual comics. And there's a very particular animation choice he made later, which we will mention. Let okay. me let me ask one question of of you both, if I could, before we leave this scene. Oh yeah. What do you, so everybody in the synagogue is dancing because the radio says that 
the United States is going to give all this military aid to Israel. Yes. And then they start dancing. What do you think Bakshi was trying to say with that? Because when I saw it, I kind of got this vibe where I was just like, wow, these people who ostensibly are for peace are dancing at the thought of war. You know, right. and we we'll get a little bit of that here later on with Mickey and the kids, you know, dancing around as the jets fly in. But uh, what do you think he was trying to get at with that? Was he trying to get at that contradiction or was it something where he was just saying, no, this this is just this should happen. I mean, what do you guys um, think? I don't that? I don't know about that. Um, sometimes I think he's like really critical of the role Jewish people have played in American society and particularly on black culture. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Um, in Coonskin, it's implied that the mafia is not only Italian, but made up of like a Jewish subsect of some kind. And they don't really expand on that as well. But um, there's one scene in Coonskin, which I got to stop saying that name so much. It's not good of me. <laughs> Very bad, Robbie. <laughs> um, but there's one scene in that movie where, like, Scatman Crothers explains how Harlem went from being, like, a Jewish sector of New York to being a you know, predominantly black sector of New York. And um, Jewish people were also, like, instrumental in helping black people get... Uh, business licenses and things of that nature, you know, throughout the years because they had, you know, like black people couldn't get some of these things. <laughs> like right. they couldn't get, you know, something like a mortgage for their house or whatever they had to, they would sometimes do it through like a subsect of somebody. A lot of these people were Jewish people who would like broker these deals. Right. So right. I, yeah, his um his critiques on <laughs> on his religion and his upbringing feel very obscure and like I, I've been I haven't I haven't done too much to do it, but I've been trying to get an interview with the man because um, I want to I want to expand on these things a little bit because these things are very cynical takes on Jewish culture, like throughout his early filmography, and they are not necessarily soft. Like uh, like these are his family members. Like he's specifically like putting his family members in a context. <laughs> critiquing like the Jewish you know role in society at that time a little bit. So yeah. I, I think there's definitely like strong personal elements to these films that are, yeah. are like hard to express maybe for him, but he's like still like has a very strong cynicism about them no matter what. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. In our next scene we go into the titular Bo Diddley song, Bo Diddley, and this is this leads into this uh, vignette where a crow is like tapping his fingers to the music. It's a little off time because of how Bakshi did the animation. They uh, they did like no pencil test on this. Are you familiar with the term pencil test, Lisa? No. Okay. Yeah, uh, pencil test is when animators like do the animation on paper to show how it works, like in a rough mode, and to show how the movements work in a rough mode. To save time and energy getting everything done and money, you know, specifically because pencil test can cost you a lot of money. He basically had about a thousand feet of footage made. So I'd, I'd say around 15 to 20 minutes of footage made that was actually pencil tested. And then they did the rest of the movie off of that. 
So this is a very raw film by animation standards, and there wasn't <laughs> there was almost no major animated film that was made quite this raw. Um, the the only other film, the only other adult film that we could say that was a major success throughout the world was Osuma, Osama Tezuka's A Thousand and One Nights, and this is a telling of the Arabian folk tale, and it's it has like it has like very adult themes in it, but it does not touch on the social critiques of this film um the bo diddley song leads us into fritz like walking down a harlem street and he he ends up going into a bar and this this has like a whole ton of dialogue actually forgive me this harlem scene like brings us to an overview of harlem and we come into this bar and this is where we have like almost nothing but like (laughs) field recorded dialogue you know from harlem militants and residents of harlem and other people and that was taken in a bar by bakshi and he basically invited all these people down to the studio to get drunk and they just they just had a conversation about (laughs) black black matters you know things happening in the black community at the time and uh they animated around these conversations. They didn't have any animation planned for these. So this is one of the rawer elements in the animation. And um, you, you have a few things about this thing you want to say, don't you, Chuck? Well, that Bo Diddley transition was just beautiful. That's like one of my favorite things in the whole film. It's just so the music and the animation, it all just works so beautifully together. And... It's so great because it's a hard cut from where we were and it just, it, it makes the film feel like more alive to me. I mean, I I just, I, it's, it's hard to explain because, but when I saw it, like I hardly ever say anything when I watch movies, but when I saw that, I was just like, Oh fuck. Like what, what's going on here? This is, this is like, this is a hard. This is different from what I've seen because what I had seen previous to that was an artistic film, right? But yeah. this like seemed to edge it up another level that I didn't expect, and it was really effective. Um, uh, I swore I heard Angela Davis's voice as one of those people, but then I looked up Angela Davis, who was the black activist in the early seventies. Late sixties, early seventies. She might have been part of the Black Panthers. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But this this one character sounded just like her. But then she said another line. I was like, no, that's not her. And then I looked up the timeline. I was like, no, she was out in San Francisco or Los Angeles then. But um, I thought for sure that was her. The other thing about this whole scene, uh, up until the Duke section that we're coming to, is that. The 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 crows that are there just kind of talking, you know, randomly, they don't have yeah. they seem to be characters who don't suffer from the same illusions as the other characters that we've met do. Yeah. Know, a lot of the other characters. And uh that's something I thought was really interesting, like just hearing them talk about what one of them was talking about combat, I think, and and one guy was talking about how one of his friends was sent to the back of a bus, you know, and and it was it was much more realistic than what we had seen previously. Most of what we had seen previously, you know, there was no yeah. artifice on it. Um, and I liked it for the same reasons I liked the dialogue in the synagogue scene. You know, it's just very natural and you're just listening. And I felt myself kind of leaning forward. And so I yeah. I love that stuff. 
It's like you're cutting out again, there, bud. Particularly interesting. a woman in this like so thoroughly. Like, please. Okay. Is this better? Yeah, you're you're good now. Okay, cool. Um, but um, one of the one of the other things I find so interesting about the scene is that Bakshi chooses to sexualize this woman that's hanging around at the bar, and um, you know, it makes me wonder like how. How open were people about sexuality in some of these places in a pre-internet age? You know, we, I think in media, we, we try to, in, in a lot of media through our culture, we try to like show a sanitized version. People are perfectly in sync with this, you know, very, <laughs> you know, Puritan culture. No one ever gets naked in public. No one ever has sex in public, la, la, la. That's not true. Like people have sex in public all the time. <laughs> no, and it, it, I don't. I don't necessarily approve of it, but I do think like we should acknowledge that maybe like he's he's showing something that he he experienced in real life that like doesn't translate to our view of media today, but is a way to express this in a truthful manner. You know, like maybe he saw like people in bars you know act this way or whatever. I don't know if I necessarily. I don't even know if I necessarily think it's like to the advantage of the film, but I do think it's like intriguing that he's got this buried impulse in him to do this, you know, with like blank dialogue, like dialogue that did not have to be that. Like that's a, that's a choice. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. That's the thing I didn't dig about the, the scene. There is scene dig again. Yeah. That's the thing I didn't like about the scene was that I, yeah, I'm kind of like, Okay, so you had this great dialogue. I was really into these characters. Wait, wait a second. What the fuck are they doing yeah. over here? What's going totally. on? Like, what's what's happening? Now, I don't know if he was trying to maybe set up as this one crow as being somewhat like Fritz and that he's kind of talking about this experience, even though it's a more realistic experience than what Fritz says. And then he's still trying to, well, basically assault this yeah i mean you know like that's the worst part of it too like you have nothing in the dialogue suggesting consent from this woman yeah i mean like yeah i mean after a while she gives into it but i'm like yeah but is she giving into it that's the thing that that bugs the fuck out of me so So, sorry yeah get a little animated here go ahead lisa speak okay it it's got me kind of comparing this scene to the scene in the synagogue um, because I was yeah. thinking about the question about what, you know, like, why would the Jews be dancing about war? And I didn't have an answer. But now I'm thinking, is this a way of him, you know, like, why include that scene? Why include this scene? So maybe it's just his way of showing the viewer his view, whether it's what he believes or this um, like sensationalistic view of his either one. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. which one, but um, his view of the Jews in the synagogue and then his view of what he believes a black club would have looked and sounded like at yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a, that could be, I mean, it would definitely yeah. explain all kind of the, the things that don't match up. Mm-hmm. In yeah. the scene, most definitely. That's a great point. And yeah, and like you said, he keeps comparing Jews and blacks. 
And then you have these two very distinct scenes where individually you're like, why is this in the movie? Yeah. Quite, it, you know, maybe you're supposed to take them together. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's a good point. I never thought of that because because you're right, because he goes right out of the synagogue and then we're into the Bo Diddley transition and then we're right in the club. That's a good point. Huh. Yeah. I think this uh I think the transition also also plays on like themes of masculinity that are running throughout the film, like what it means to be a man in New York, like at that time, you know, what it means to be a ladies' man in actuality, to be this young liberal, you know, swinging guy <laughs> that's just taking whatever he can get. And yeah, it you know, it's a very good thing you brought up the synagogue scene because I hadn't really been putting those two together i hadn't really been thinking about that as much as i probably should have because given the themes of heavy traffic and uh, the other film you know with the scatman crothers it, it makes a lot of sense that he he sees like parallels between maybe jewish culture and black culture um but you could also like chalk this up to basic stereotyping of black culture because you know there's a story about the beatles meeting either i think it's i believe it's the supremes and and when they invite the Supremes up to their hotel room after the Ed Sullivan show, <laughs> the uh, Supremes come up there with their, you know, with their guardian who makes sure that they're all prim and proper all the time and everything goes okay. And they come up to a hotel room that's filled with marijuana smoke and, uh, you know, the Beatles lounging about, you know, with their clothes all loose. And they, I guess they expected the Supremes to be randy, you know, women, you know, who, who were, you know, either, you know, maybe because simply because they were black or the image they presented or whatever, but the meeting did not go well. And I, I think this is like an instance you could chalk up to that too. But part of the reason why I like these films as art is that you can interpret them in so many ways. And while I definitely don't think everything like plays as well as it should, <laughs> I, I, I do think like it, it is art. Like you can't say it's not art. Like it's not. Pr- like you can't say it's not a presentable form of art that has been around in animation and different types of American folk art for a long time. Um, we should probably move on from this. Oh, please go ahead. What were you going to say? No, Chuck? just one last thing. I mean, and, and you guys know this as podcasters, you were talking a little bit about it a while ago. It's like when you do something like this, like what we're doing, you watch a movie multiple times or you read about it, or I mean, Lisa, you're wading through again the lost seasons, right? Like you're watching these things over and over. You know, if if he had these preconceptions about a black club, why didn't he get on the fucking subway and go down there and find out? That's why I don't understand. I guess I, that's why I think some of this stuff I I push back against a bit because I'm just kind yeah. of like, if I were gonna write about that or animate it or whatever, bet your ass I'm going down there. To try to yeah. find out what's going on. Just to play devil's advocate, what if he did? And what if the one, maybe one club he went to did sound like that? It's a great point. It's a great point. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not trying to argue with you at all. No, no. But who knows? I mean. Yeah, that's you know true. What? One thing that I've learned living in New York my whole life. New York is a very, very diverse place to be. Mm-hmm. But it's also a very yeah. segregated place to be. You know, yeah. we all intermingle during the day and then at night we go back home to our own neighborhoods and then it's like no matter how much diversity 
you know, there is like as a whole, most neighborhoods are still very, um, you know, cut off. Like, right. Like if you think, yeah. you say any neighborhood in, in, especially like Brooklyn and Queens more so than the other boroughs, but you know, you say a neighborhood and you're like, oh, that's mostly such and such. And that neighborhood is mostly such and such. And while right. there will be always different people living, people still tend to live amongst their own group. And you always, no matter how much you don't believe it or you don't want to hear it, you will always hear people spouting stereotypes of, yeah. you know, whoever, everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, a- I mean, sometimes we fall into them as, you know, people of that group. Sometimes we don't. But, um, you know, I just don't know. Like, it, it could have been what he saw. It could have been something that he's just heard from other people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Totally. Um, go ahead, Chuck, please. No, no. I. That's a great point. I mean, I, I hadn't thought of it from that point of view. I think I, I ended up thinking of it from my point of view, which is that I will research something until it's past time that I should have started doing it. And so, you know, I think looking at it through those eyes is what gets me in trouble, especially in a situation like this, because I'm looking at it and I'm like, Ugh. but you're right. Like he, you know, it's, it's a great point. You know, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I do too, Lisa. Um, you know, I live in a very small town. So dynamics like that, I, I don't really grasp those things because everybody here, you know, we live pretty close to the ground overall. You know, we don't have like these giant high rises that people are crammed into. We don't understand. We don't have quite that many little subcultures, you know, it's basically honky city around here. You know, <laughs> there's maybe like 8% of the population that's black at, at the most. I'm thinking, yeah, it's yeah. not very large. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, when we had a, when we had a, like a BLM visual, over which I mean, it was basically a visual for all victims of police violence and victims of race violence, and you know, we we had like hell's angels up on the square, like protecting our right to free speech, or wow. you know, wow. so they say. Like I, I I have a lot of I have a lot of cynicism about biker groups and outlaw groups like that, but yeah. nothing really bad happened, so I won't I won't say it was like a terrible thing or anything. Um, yeah, yeah I, mean, um, I, I can understand where you're coming from somewhat because we live on the north side of Indianapolis and uh, we, we kind of live in an area where it's like it's in the city, but it doesn't look like it's in the city. It looks like a hardcore suburb, but it's really pretty much in the city. Right. And um, it, you know, we live uh, in this kind of area where you have, you know, like you go across this street when you go out of our neighborhood and across the street are these just like super rich people. And the only reason we live in the neighborhood we live in is because we lucked out and got a good price on our house. You know what I mean? Like we totally lucked out, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, the neighborhoods are very, it's, it's interesting because they're very mixed around here as far as like, yeah, we do, you know, if you say, Oh, we're, you're over on the North, west side okay well some people will say well such and such lives up there and you go well no not really because here's a pocket of you know progressives here's a pocket yeah. of you know uh, conservatives here is you know v- a vague pocket of the korean population the hispanic population lives here 
or a Latino population lives here, I should say, I apologize. And then the, um, and then like the black communities here, but it's not really true. Right. Cause when we go to the grocery store, we live within like a half a mile of one another, you know? So it's, it's weird, but, but there, but there are times when it's kind of like, yeah, at the end of the day, we all kind of go back to our own little areas and that's it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. You make a good point. I'm just like, I'm just spouting out loud here. guys. Well, we're going to be a little more over than I thought, but that I, I still appreciate it. I, you know, and that's part of the reason I want to do these films because I want to see how people, you know, feel about them, you know, 50 years on. And, the, you know, the fact of the matter is it seems like a younger generation has definitely adopted these films again over the past few years. You know, they've been re-releasing a lot of these films. They, you know, they really, they re-released the Scatman Crothers film a few years back. This year we got a new uh, Blu-ray of Br- Fritz the Cat coming out. And the sequel, which uh, I do not recommend at all. <laughs> that does not have anything uh, to do with Bakshi. Don't even bother with it, in my opinion. Um, yeah, Fritz ends up walking into this bar, and he uh, he's just kind of checking everybody out and listening to them ch- talk, taking in the whole thing. And this is where we get the introduction of Duke. And uh, Duke is playing pool, and he's doing it very unsuccessfully. Um, you're a pretty big fan of the character Duke, aren't you, Chuck? Yes, big time. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. Yeah. I do you him. do you like uh, Duke, Lisa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he seemed very yeah. realistic. You know, like somebody you'd actually meet. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And he's so, I mean, he's a kind character. And he saves Fritz's life, which I can't say I would be that big of a yeah. guy. <laughs> you know, like he he really saves Fritz's life yeah. in a big way, and he gets repaid very poorly later on. You know, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duke is a he's one of the best parts about the film, and he definitely like pays a dear price for his uh, involvement with Fritz the Cat, and um. He basically, I think the main reason why he like continues with Fritz, like even though like <laughs> he almost gets killed even before he gets killed, like <laughs> I think the main reason is because he uh he he helps like Fritz helps Duke get like a big like giant shot where all the balls go in for him on the pool table, and I think he sees something kind of lucky about the <laughs> about the cat. <laughs> And that's why he wants to hang out with him or something. Like he sees something in him. I'm not, I've never, I always thought maybe they should have made that a little clearer, like definitely in the way the actions play out. But I still think it's there. Like you can still grasp the concept of what he's doing through how they uh, take the actions. There's a very good conversation he has with Fritz about how like Fritz can't understand the black problem because he isn't black and he doesn't get to say that he truly understands how black people feel. And I think even like <laughs> considering Bash's later work, it's a strong, bold statement, you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, with the pool, the pool shot, every all the balls going in, that felt yeah. like this. I mean, oh, okay. It felt like a white privilege type thing where, yeah, it's got to feel like, so you know, to to people when they look at, you know, 
horror put upon white men, which is not the case, you know, that, you know, those, those men feel poor and put upon, but to everybody else, they're like, fuck, like history has been like the red carpet's been rolled out to you throughout all of history. And I feel like Duke sees some of that because they go on to, um, doesn't Fritz like steal a car or something? And then they go tooling around and Duke's scared because he knows what happens if they get caught. Like yeah. Fritz doesn't know. That's the thing about him. That's so frustrating. Well, one of the things that are frustrating about yeah. him in the movie is that he's oblivious to consequences because he's never had to suffer them. And yes. Duke knows what it's like to be, you know, harassed he knows what it's like to be accused of crimes that he didn't commit or crimes that he was kind of just there and a bystander but got swept into and so yeah i mean i i that's one reason i feel for duke because i'm like this guy knows what's going on fritz doesn't and the guy who knows what's going on is the guy that doesn't make it and yet fritz does it's just like oh man you know yeah that's such a such an insightful point i i yeah i didn't even think about it like that but you're so right i i it's the reason i love duke because i'm just like oh man i i feel so bad for this guy and that's kind of how it is right like the people who know what's going on are usually people that don't last that long you know yeah um because they you know somebody murders them or you know, sometimes if you look at somebody like a Phil Oaks, they end up killing themselves, you know, because it's just too much knowing all this stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fritz, uh, Fritz almost gets both of them killed by, uh, calling the bartender boy in a very like a blunt, like joke that I've, I've yeah. never like felt quite comfortable with. Like, why does Fritz like specifically say the term boy? Like it makes me wonder, like they don't give, here's another thing about this movie. We should all take into consideration. They give us almost no details about where Fritz is from his home life why he like like who put him up in college how he's getting the money to go to college you know what his parents are like we don't even know what his former relationships are like at all like the only thing we have even coming close to that later on in the film is a repurposed character named Winston Schwartz and even then it's still pretty vague and I think it says something about Fritz that he actively doesn't want people to even be able to talk about his family he doesn't talk about any of his family or any of his actual friends the whole film (laughs) so to comment on what you said about why he feels so comfortable um my my thoughts on that is that you know it's that sense of entitlement and um to be honest i see it to this day i i see it even inside my family, my family is yeah. very mixed. Um, yeah. And I, I still see things like that where sometimes, and they tend to be white men, um, you know, will just say things and just feel like it's okay. Cause yeah. you know, consequences are just not really something that they've ever had to deal with. And especially in terms of race, you know, there's, there's just always been this air of I'm a white dude. I can get away with it um, yeah. because I can, and Fritz 
may have been making an unconscious decision or he may have just been so used to you know that 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 free tongue of his that just maybe you know yeah. just maybe he didn't even realize that what he was saying is incredibly offensive i mean you know yeah you know. yeah yeah i found myself oh. wondering if he would have said that to to stay in terms of the movie if he would have said that in a cat bar if he would have talked yeah. to the bartender that way, that's something I wondered too. But yeah, I agree with you because I, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, the, the kind of the spectrum of, of anger for me is like, if somebody says it and they feel like they have the privilege to say it without consequences, that's like, upper middle of my spectrum of anger. I think what really gets me is when somebody says it like a petulant child, because they know that it's offensive and they know that the the likelihood of them suffering consequences is still not there necessarily. And that's, I'm trying to figure out on my anger spectrum where I should be with Fritz, because I do feel like he, he is a bit unconscious of it, but I also feel like, like you were saying, Lisa, like he doesn't feel like he's going to suffer any consequences from just saying something like that because the bartender as a, as a figure is a servant to him, right? No matter, no matter who it is, it's a, in a way it's almost a, it almost veers into class territory because it's like, Oh, well I'm college educated and I wear this red turtleneck, but no pants oddly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so this person behind the counter is my servant. And it's like, well, no, that's not how it works, man. Like it's, it's a give and take, you know? So, and and civil, I mean, all the civil rights, you know, activism wasn't that long before this. And so I think also how many times did someone say something like that and a person of color didn't even feel comfortable enough, you know, how to swallow it, how to just, yeah. Keep, right. You know, yeah. Keep it quiet because, you know, they were in no position to speak back. They, they could lose their job or, you know, worse. And, and so it's just become this very comfortable thing where I can say whatever I want because there's no recourse. Because right. even if there is recourse, I'm used to you keeping your mouth shut because right. that's the way it has to be because I'm white. Like, no. But, right. But you get that vibe. Yeah. 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 But then he he stepped in it like he really stepped in it because he was not aware of his surroundings. He just kind of felt like that his catness like traveled you know in, uh, uh, through all parts of the city, and it's like no, it doesn't. Not here because that bartender doesn't have to take this shit, you know. And he's damn lucky Duke was there, you know. I guess we are too because then we wouldn't have it the rest of the movie. Oddly, uh, yeah. the movie be over unless we had to watch Fritz go to hell or something, but. You know, I mean, Duke was definitely there to clean up his messes in more ways than one. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the idea of like Fritz dying, going to hell. If he, uh, <laughs> if he actually did the did that in this movie, that might like give Bakshi like even more free reign to just go like all out on the animation. <laughs> like right. that might uh, that might have been cool on a certain level, but I'm sure it did not uh, <laughs> come into their minds at the time. that's great (laughs) yeah um yeah i appreciate you guys like handling the (laughs) material in this way because it's you know a lot of this stuff is hard i think you know 
a lot of the, a lot of my friends struggle with, with comprehending some of this crap, you know, like <laughs> I've definitely, I've definitely said some things I've regretted in my life. And, you know, I apologize to anybody. I've been a fucking asshole too. <laughs> like, you know, this, this movie, these movies are like personal to me in ways because they, they reflect my world still in ways that I don't, I don't like, you know, like as much as I, as, as much as I like the films, like I don't, it's frustrating that 50 years on, I can still look at Fritz the Cat and find all these things to comment on about our society through it. <laughs> when, yeah. You know, it, it's been 50 years. Shouldn't our society have moved on a little bit? Um, you know, after uh, <laughs> after Fritz and Duke bug out from the bar, they, uh, they hop in this car that, like... <laughs> Duke decides to steal. He sees the keys are in the car, so he decides to steal it. And Fritz decides he wants to drive. And Fritz has apparently never driven a fucking car in his life, despite what he says, because he has, like, no sense of the road. I don't know if it's that he's even never driven, or he's just so high he literally thinks he's doing a good job, you know? Like, (laughs) I think there's a good argument to be made that Fritz is uh, (laughs) a... Do do we skip over him like going back to college? Uh, I yes. think we referenced it, but we mm-hmm. did skip over it. But I think we did reference it that like he okay didn't read well, books, but he burnt them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I do. I we'll finish up this little part of the topic, and then we'll kind of circle back to that so I can have it for editing. Yeah. Anyways, um. Yeah, Fritz and Duke are riding around in a stolen car, and uh, he's he's probably pretty high, like all together, you know. But they're gonna go uptown to you know wherever wherever this uh, place is that Duke knows of, and uh, once once they start like driving around, Fritz and uh, <laughs> Fritz is really making a lot of havoc throughout New York City, like making a lot of havoc throughout Harlem. People are not happy about it. Uh, at, at a certain point, you see the two cops arguing with each other in the street about having to work in Harlem. They are not happy about having to work in Harlem. There are several pointed racist jabs they make about having to work in Harlem. Um, one of them being, you can't, like even see them in the dark referring to the African Americans that live around them there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm uh, I'm never for sure how hard this is supposed to be played for laughs, but I definitely think it was probably of a piece with the uh, white culture, you know, in policing at the time. So I I would like I would also like to say that I make a lot of concessions for this movie because these these films were made at a time where like social identity is so raw like how we perceive it in the media you know like th- like some of the things we view as like amateurish or you know oh, over dramatic or too intense there was, there probably wasn't a whole lot of scale for such things at the time and part of the reason why I like these films so much is I think like Bakshi is an iconoclast within animation like no other he's like the Lenny Bruce of animation or somebody like that like there's no there's nobody else quite like him and even though I don't always agree with all the artistic choices i I think they're pretty necessary like for healthy like art you know like some of these things are about like conveying like the real world and unfortunately we can't get around those things and this is a response to the disney brand of animation leading up to this like we had no real animation that conveyed reality like disney is almost a straight fantasy while you can say that their characters are modeled around you know actual physics and 
you could say they have like actual realistic character models they're still baked within fairy tales usually and tales of anthropomorphized animals and while this does have like the anthropomorphization we still have like an intense sense of reality that feels uncomfortable almost and is (laughs) a real achievement in animation from what's come before it um yeah well go ahead please so I know that, um, you know, there's, there's this whole whatever debate, whatever you want to call it, right, on cancel culture. Right? Yeah. Just in terms of movies and animation and, and things that we consume, you know, different kind of um, forms of art, so to speak. Yeah, right. I don't necessarily feel that these things should be canceled. Mm-hmm. Um in the sense of that is how we learn. You look at a movie like this, and this is the reflection of of more, you know, more so than not how it was. You right. know, the racism is rampant. It still is. Right. Maybe it's not as overt as it was back then, but I mean, this is not the only thing. I mean, you can yeah. look at so many TV shows. You know, you yeah. look at All in the Family. Okay. Yeah. yeah, And it's just a reflection of what we considered okay and normal at the time. And I think that it is important to watch later on. And, and you watch it with eyes from where you are now and you learn from it. You can say, shit, we cannot do that again. Look at how horrible that was. Like, I don't even feel right. good watching it. And that's how you know you've come so far. Right. There's always yeah. going to be work to do. We always have to go further and I always say, like, when you know better, you do better. Right. You know, sometimes totally. we take for granted what we can get away with, you know. And, and I, I don't yeah. believe that, you know, on all the people who just to get a little off topic. But at the same time, it's not a statue. You know, a statue is right. something you put up to worship. We're not worshiping yeah. movies. Right. Hopefully you're watching them and learning something from them. And I think yes. that in that sense, the simple act of even removing a statue that we once considered acceptable is an act to learn from right you know and i just think that it it, in some ways it's okay and in some ways we do have to to shut shut things down you know and and, yeah but media and art is not one of them yeah that's that's really that's really insightful because it really for like a movie like this forces us to look at and say what is this person's intention which in art intention means a lot, you know? And so it forces us to go in and say, okay, kind of like what we're doing here. Like, what does Bakshi mean by this? What does he mean Mm -hmm. by this? And so you do have like, for instance, when Robbie was talking about a while ago, the, the police making all these racial slurs and stuff and how they didn't want to work in Harlem, you know, it's like, that could have been yesterday, you know, unfortunately it still could have been yesterday and movies like this. I agree with you. I don't think, I think cancel culture is, well, I think the second you put culture after cancel, I think that's when it became something that, that could be weaponized. Mm -hmm. And I, in some ways I feel like because of where we are now with, the internet and with all with just being bombarded all the time 
we're not we're not able to do a case by case that we should be able to do with things and but with art especially i totally agree with you on that lisa i mean i think i I love how this movie forces me to not only think about what back she did but think about the way i grew up and how i just had to make the break and say this is not the person i'm going to be when i grow up i i mean I I won't recount the story in all because it's very offensive, but I know that when I was seven years old, my mother said something about a black man, and I immediately decided there I'm going to be the exact opposite of her for the rest of my life. Wow. And it's it's one of those things where it's not something that when you're brought up that way, it's not something that easily goes away. It's, it's like, it's almost like an addiction in a way. Like you have to always interrogate your assumptions about everyone and everything. And I like that this movie does that. It makes me interrogate not only what his intentions are, but like what my, what, what's my thought process Mm -hmm. and how many times have I heard this conversation and did I say anything or did I not say anything? And I, I like that. And for that reason, I totally agree. I don't think this should be canceled as a work. I think it should be something that should be available. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, people will use this movie to either bolster assumptions or to, to attack, you know, other people, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's, it's just one of those things that, it sucks that we always have to have all these loaded cultural guns everywhere, you know, nowadays that people can't have a baseline where they say, okay, this is what is right. You know, not correct. Yeah. This is what is right. right. And, yes. and, and work from that base. And we just don't have that, you know, yeah. because we're a niche culture, you know, and please don't get me started on how, you know, this goes back even further than just, cancel culture this is you know going back to people are not taught to think you know schools are all failing us and and then people get their information from youtube and it's like people come on just you know look inward have some common sense you know speak to people of different religions different races just get out of your comfort zone a little bit but right you know just just be willing to hear just be willing to listen yes And, and you would hear and see so much more you know just learn so much more yeah absolutely i totally agree totally yeah i uh i definitely also want to say that like i think a good deal of people who are fighting cancel culture are fighting a pointless battle because cancel culture like isn't just about like getting rid of things because they're history and they're trying to push an agenda they're about getting rid of that bullshit because it never actually mattered to what was right Right. it never act like you know these fucking confederate statues they never mattered to anything that was good for our country and to get rid of them isn't destroying our history in fact it's making our history more palatable to future generations because they won't be looking at these fucking statues and thinking this is somebody to respect this is a statue they made of this great general who enslaved so many people and fought to enslave people Mm -hmm. fuck that shit yeah, I'm getting tired of people acting like this cancel culture is such a terrible thing all the time. There are times when it's perfectly justified. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
I, I totally agree with that too. Yeah. I, I, I read on, um, on social media, I think it was like last week that the golden girls, the show, the golden girls lasted, la- yeah. lasted longer than the Confederacy. So really we should be building a statue to Blanche. That's good. Yeah. That's good. The oh, Venture you know. Brothers have lasted longer than the Confederacy. A lot of the Venture are. Brothers are more a part of our culture than the fucking Confederacy. <laughs> and that's a great thing, too. Yeah. Like, let me tell you. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I try to keep things slightly apolitical around here. I have massive problems with the two party system, but I also don't think that's an excuse to spout stupidity, you know, to spout like sensationalism that doesn't matter or actually improve anybody's life, you know, and it seems like both the Republican and Democrat parties like participate in that like more often than they should, particularly the GOP now. And they've become, they've become, strangely paranoid and weird the last what like if I'm incredibly 10 years insulted so. by that <laughs> what'd you say <laughs> <laughs> you almost I, got canceled robbie you don't know how close you are. Oh, fuck me. I, said, I was incredibly insulted <laughs> well you know you. my life right now is cancel culture enough so with my numbers it's cancel culture enough. But, you, you um, know, but when you talk about a movie like this you can't avoid the political Right. You know, because no. it's there. And, you know, I mean, I used to work in a heavily right wing environment, you know, corporate office in the middle of Indiana. Well, pretty much anywhere that's right wing, yeah. but for the most part. And, you know, that was back when the Iraq war was starting, the second Iraq war. And, you know, we argued about that constantly. I had to argue with pretty much everybody in, in the office except for yeah. my writing partner. And I just told them, I said, in the end, for me, every political decision I've ever made for myself and who I vote for is based on the least number of people dying. That's it. So if I thought, well, I was going to say, if I thought somebody like Trump, there's no way he could do that. He's not that smart. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, you know, if I thought that there was this person, I'm like, yeah, this person's not great, but they might be able to help the most number of people, then yeah, I would support that person. But I don't feel like we have those people. I think we have people who want to keep the most number of Fortune 500 companies alive. Like and those, quo. exactly, yes. they want to hold on to that. But the status quo doesn't do anything for us. You know, it's just one of those things that it's kind of like, well, but it's better for us and we're rich. So can you just shut up? You know, follow the money. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Benefits from the we're, problems. Exactly. Exactly. We're, uh, we're, uh, we're seeing that play out in live time in Indiana over the past couple of months. There has been a string of businesses that have formed a caucus that's like um, some kind of, it's some kind of anti-critical race theory caucus. And like they're trying to get that out of our schools. They're trying to make sure that all schools have parental permission for mental health testing. You know, you have parental permission for what, you know, for the gender, you know, classification. And the fact of the matter is all schools do do this and critical race theory shouldn't be such an issue since it really isn't taught in most public schools. And it's a thing that people come into through colleges. 
So yep. basically, all, all, this like all white like business caucus is just creating this big stir about something that is not a real problem and doesn't do anything. And guess what? You know, keeping people from learning about critical race theory keeps people from learning about how zoning rights have kept black people in, and and people of different ethnicities in poverty stricken areas and ghettos and things like that. It, it keeps people from learning about like <laughs> how how often we've like targeted racial minorities in this country yeah, to keep an yeah. upper hand of a white power base. And like, sadly, I, I think that's exactly the point. Exactly. Yes, I, yes. Yeah. These people are fucking evil. I don't have any respect for them. Fucking, they don't represent my community like at all. <laughs> you know, something that Lisa was saying earlier about schools failing us. I think that's actually reflected in this film too, because you see this, this guy in Fritz and yeah. it's it's his fault, right? That yeah. <laughs> that he's not learning anything. But it's also like this culture of conformity that's kind of taken over at least school administrations, where you know, well, I, I mean, I can say for me in high school, I in our high school history textbook, we had one sentence about John F. Kennedy. And that included his assassination. And we had one sentence about Martin Luther King, and that included his assassination. And it just so happened that my teacher at that time was very, she was an older woman. She had lived through the depression. She had lived through all these events. And so she said, this book is not serving us on these issues. So we're doing a week on John F. Kennedy. We're doing a week on Martin Luther King. We're going to yeah. do a week on RFK. We're going to do a week on, I think we even did a week on Malcolm X. I mean, Damn straight. And, and, you know, in Indiana, doing a week on Malcolm X is like basically, I don't know. Yeah. Spouting a Lenny Bruce set in front of the gymnasium for, you know, pep <laughs> rally, you know, but yeah. it was fantastic because we got insights and I'm thinking to myself as I hear of, of kids now, especially even, when they have so much more at their fingertips, not getting the information even that I got in a suburban school in Indiana back in the 1980s, 90s, yeah. you know, it's like, you just can't believe it. You know, <laughs> you just can't believe it. And all this stuff is to distract this critical race stuff is yeah. to distract you from the, from the, what's really the problem. Yeah. Which is all of this other stuff. It's like if they throw up this wedge issue, then they can get you to where, you know, you're you're yeah. going to have to fight for jobs that don't pay you a living wage. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you were right about about racism becoming like more insidious earlier, Lisa. You know, the past few years we've seen these politicians that like make open like public calls like on the sly <laughs> as like racial digs, you know, like <laughs> Trump playing Native American battle songs at the, at Mount Rushmore and shit like that. You know, these are active taunts by these people, you know. They don't they don't care about these these cultures at all. It, yeah, I I totally I do agree with you too. The the point that like maybe college failed Fritz a little bit too as an impressionable young man that maybe he all he saw was this conformity and all he saw was this endless study that doesn't actually contribute to the world, real world around him. And he said fuck that. So yeah, that's a great point to make too because I think the college system has played just as much into like racial segregation as any other thing. Well, like, yeah. 
I think Go ahead, that Lisa. Sense, it, ha- it depends on the professor and yes. the class. Yes. If you have a professor who is um, more open-minded and they have tenure, oh, right. you're going to get a good you're right. going to get a good class. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yes. if they if they're still working for that tenure, then they're going to abide by what they're told. Yeah. Yeah. And so yes, it it still is the school system, but but I feel like also the professors can figure out ways. Yeah. And maybe not as much in in lower schools, you know, but yeah. in college yeah. you can get away with all that shit. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that they've become more, I think it feel, I mean, okay. So full disclosure, like my wife teaches and she teaches uh, writing and um, you know, she's always talking about how um, the liberal arts in co- you know, liberal arts department. Yeah. Say that more clearly. She's always talking about how the liberal arts department is underfunded. Everything is it's always a budget crisis. It's always a budget crisis. And it's it's brutal because then you look at other schools and other schools are getting all kinds of money. And it's kind of like the liberal arts school is the one that kind of teaches people to think. Right. Is the one that teaches you. Like I when I was applying for jobs, people would say, well, what makes you qualified for this job? And I said, because I'm an English major, because it's taught me how to adapt and think about all these things in ways that other people don't have to, because the liberal arts education is so broad that you have to adapt. You're forced to, if you don't, you fail. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I know that from personal experience. 